Hello, this is Brad Redderson, and welcome to Spernova's Interview Series, an audio program exploring the intersection between cutting-edge business strategies and the innovations that can ignite business growth. It's one of several podcast series on the subject of strategic innovation in business offered by Stranova, a resource group dedicated to helping you achieve and capitalize on the incredible potential available for your own business. With our over 30 years of experience leading innovation, we know what it takes to turn ideas into profits. Please visit us to learn more at www.stranova.com. And now, please join us for this week's episode of Stranova's Interview Series. Once upon a time, there was something called word-of-mouth advertising. You saw or bought a new product and were so excited you made sure your closest friends heard all about it. Then they checked it out, maybe even bought it, and probably told a few other friends as well. It's like that old saying, tell two people, they'll tell two people, and so on and so on. Two levels of that, and you have four people who will have heard your story. Ten levels of that, and you have two to the tenth, or 1,024 people. 20 levels of that, and you have over 1 million. Obviously, a key to making that work at the beginning is, in part, you. Your credibility with your friends, based both on friendship and the reliability of what you passed on in the past, is critical. A second important factor, however, is the nature of the content you're passing on, how compelling it is to those you share it with, and what their results are when they test it themselves. This becomes even more important the further the story travels from its original source, because even two degrees of separation away from you, the odds are good that someone involved doesn't know you at all, and your reputation and credibility are irrelevant to them. Obviously, if you're the one making the product they're all talking about, and the word spreads to millions of people about how great your product is, you're going to sell a lot of product. Back in the Jurassic days of marketing, this all happened pretty much by accident. You may have advertised in print or on television or radio, but the most that that could do was create the initial pull to encourage that first customer in the chain to try things out. In our modern age where the Internet and email are ubiquitous, the rules of how this worked has changed rapidly. One of the earliest examples was the launch in July 1996 of a product called Hotmail by an entrepreneur named Jack Smith. The concept for the product itself was definitely simple and compelling, an email system that was independent of the Internet service provider you used. Even more clever, however, was including a tagline at the bottom of each email you sent out that invited others to sign up for their own free email account. Through this approach, Hotmail's user base grew to 8.5 million subscribers only 18 months after its launch, and over 30 million by early 1999. Microsoft was sufficiently impressed with the value of this that they purchased Hotmail in February 1999 for a reported $400 million. This concept of promotion, now known as viral marketing for how it rapidly propagates through its communications network, has grown dramatically since then and morphed into many different forms. One of the most exciting of these in the business world is the whole field of viral gaming, in which special online games are custom designed with two major goals in mind, to share information about a new product while providing the most interesting and play-filled gaming opportunities possible. They often even include special rewards toward the purchase of the products you've just heard about 
if you play well enough, long enough. And yes, believe it or not, the games are often shared with their user communities in the millions per game, with virtually no upfront advertising. It's big business, and unlike the many out there that are thinking getting their company's video on YouTube is the right thing to do, this approach is both measurable and predictable, to some degree at least, so your return on investment can be estimated before you even launch into this kind of campaign. To learn more about how this works, we talked with Matt Ramsey, the Business Development Director for Inbox Digital, located in Swindon in the United Kingdom, and one of the largest viral game marketing firms in the world. Inbox Digital's client list is a stellar one, with companies as diverse as Logitech, Vodafone, Fiat, Reuters, General Electric, Panasonic, Procter & Gamble, and the BBC. Mr. Ramsey himself is a seasoned digital and direct marketer who began his marketing career in 1993 at McCann Erickson, moving to EHS Braun in 1995. In 1998, he joined digital agency Euro RSCG Circle as its business group director. And in 2005, he joined Inbox Digital, where as business development director, he now provides strategic support to the core agency team and is a key driver to grow its own long-term business. Matt, welcome to Stranova. Thanks very much for calling us, Brad, actually. It's good to speak to you. Well, viral marketing is one of the hottest areas in marketing these days, with companies either looking for a way to attract customers with a clever video on YouTube or becoming the hottest topic on MySpace or elsewhere in the blogosphere. It's glamorous, it's profitable when you're successful in this, but very few companies that invest their precious marketing dollars in this area ever seem to reach their goals in this area. And even fewer marketing firms specializing offering this seem to be able to do anything more than create campaigns and hope for the best. Why does it seem so difficult to create a truly effective viral marketing campaign? Wow, that's a very interesting question, Brad. I think the main issue that we're working with at the moment is really an understanding within the marketplace about what it is that makes a true viral campaign. And by that I mean what it is that makes viral campaigns work, what are people interested in, what will make a viral campaign run. And then I think secondly, actually understanding how you might measure your viral campaign, how you might get the most out of the campaign, what the results might be, what you might do with the information from the campaign. So I think a lot of that's driven through a general lack of knowledge in the industry, but I think you know, we're working very hard with our clients to change that. Your company, on the other hand, has become very successful in this area. What is it that Inbox Digital brings to this that sets you folks apart? I think there are three key elements to what we do that I think creates a difference. And a lot of that has been born out of really experience in the marketplace. As you say at the very beginning, viral is a very new phenomenon, but to us it isn't really. You know, we have 18 months to two years experience in this, and whilst that doesn't sound a lot in general industry terms in a market that's only existed for that long, you know, we're old hands at it. And I think the three things that we bring to it, really, the first thing is creativity. You know, we understand what it is that makes viral marketing work, what people will tune into in terms of, and what I mean by that is the actual creative output. So what do people actually want to receive? What will they send to their friends? How will they sponsor your brand? So there's the, the sort of visual and creative aspects in the output. I think the second thing is how we actually get the message out there. And having worked over a, a you know, huge number of viral campaigns, we're used to seeding viral campaigns. And what I mean by seeding really is the process of getting your viral campaign out there into various networks. And we use a number of 
established social networks, whether that's gaming, whether that's video sites, the sort of things that you talked about in your earlier question, but, but using those social networks really and penetrating those social networks to really become our ambassadors or sort of our, our, our viral friends, if you like, who are going to send the work out. So already we've got a good creative piece that we know will work. And secondly, a good process for getting it out into the marketplace at large. And then the last thing, and I think this is just as important as the other two, is the fact that what we're doing is measurable. And so critically, we can understand not just how many times it's been played, but where it's been played. We put an awful lot of insight into our work now in terms of the age, demographics, gender, those sorts of things for the people who are playing the game. So that the marketeers that we're talking to really get to understand who is playing their games or getting involved in their virals, not just how many times was it viewed or how many times was it seen. And then secondly, we're looking at different ways to make a campaign commercial in a measurable way. So with the use of things like at its lowest level, really, prize draw initiatives, right the way through to money off coupons that can be redeemed in stores, right the way through to using other methodologies that enable us to measure the value of the communication. And by that, I mean how many people actually saw this game and then went and bought a product in the store. And we can use mechanics that don't even involve the viral, such as sort of questionnaires and things like that, to find out whether people were influenced in some way by the communication that went out. So there's three core areas, really. One is getting the creative right and getting the brand message right and we have a team of people doing that and then we've got the seeding piece which is getting it out there and making sure we're reaching the right audience and then thirdly that we can measure it and, and I think those three things make what we do quite different to what a lot of other people are doing and, and really helps us maintain our leadership in our field. We'll get into a little bit more of the metrics in a minute. I did want to do a quick follow-up question on what you were just talking about regarding the seeding process. Seeding would seem to be one of the bigger mysteries of life. This is a little different than just placing an ad on a television program or perhaps on radio or in a newspaper. You're trying to penetrate a community which, at least in this day and age, tends to want to do what they want to do as opposed to responding necessarily to what an outsider says that they want to put on the air. How is it that you go about that seeding process through some of these social networks? I'm curious. Sure, that's a very good question. I think the first thing is that, one, you learn how communities respond to the work that you're doing, and then you adjust the work that you're doing accordingly, and to put that into real terms. Um, the public at large in these communities tend to resist strong brand messages. So reducing the branding in a communication, which might seem odd from an advertiser's point of view, but it does actually help increase the likelihood of it being included in somebody's community because they don't feel like they're sponsoring a brand. And a lot of people are very aware that this is a brand communication that they're receiving. So the first thing is really to acknowledge that issue and not try and create an issue with that, but to go along with it and say, well, I understand that we can't put heavily branded communications in here. So for example, with our work with Panasonic, rather than having a viral piece that's heavily branded Panasonic, you know, one of our games for Panasonic, or in fact two recent games for Panasonic, are actually set in the camera interface. So it's actually designed within a camera cover rather than actually being, say, a Panasonic website. And it feels more acceptable that way. So there's things like that that we can do just to make it feel slightly less overtly branded. The second thing, really, is that I mean, we focus our expertise is much more in viral gaming. And viral gaming really gives us the opportunity to penetrate very established communities, such as gaming communities and some of the biggest websites in the world. 
our gaming communities. And so what that helps us do is if we create really rich content that will go within those sites, those sites are happy to receive our content because it adds value to their sites and their players are happy to play the games because we create you know, excellent games that go into those sites. So that helps us get into those areas as well. And then an area which is growing is that uh, seeding sites such as community sites. I mean, even you look at things like Facebook and MySpace and people like that are now very wise to the fact that they've got a commercial property there and will sensitively handle advertising on their sites on your behalf. So, you know, it's quite easy now to select a demographic within MySpace or Facebook or MSN Messenger or places like this where you can, in a conventional way, buy media, but quite targeted media. So that's part of the seeding plan. The main benefit we've got with viral, though, is that, the, or particularly viral gaming, is the communication that we're sending out. It's not particularly branded. It's not an advert as such. And so it's a more enjoyable experience and therefore, again, is more accepted by the audience. So we tend to get a higher take-up from the sort of viral gaming route than we do from traditional advertising. And then finally, because of our experience working in this space, we've been able to really get in touch with some of the leading viral sites around the world and because of the historic quality of the work that we're doing, the numbers that it delivers in terms of audience, we're very well received by the viral sites and that's taken time, but we managed to get our content in there. I think as a good example of this, a way to help explain a little bit to our audience would be if you could tell us a little bit about one of your more recent campaigns, what the client was looking for, how you went about the project and then what the results have been going forward. Sure, no, happy to do that, actually. We've produced some really lovely work recently. I think one that sticks out for us is a campaign uh, for one of our clients called Logitech. Uh, I don't know if your listeners will be familiar with Logitech, but they're a global manufacturer of computer tools, and the area that we were working with was their keyboards and mouse, and more specifically, their desktop keyboards and mice. The brief we had from Logitech was to raise awareness of their cordless keyboard products across Western Europe. And they had a limited budget, but they also wanted to do something quite innovative. So our response to their brief really was to put together a series of viral communications, not just one viral communication, but in fact in this program, three viral communications. And each viral communication had a theme. And because this was cordless desktops, the theme of each viral communication was cordless desktops. And so we created a series of games, the set of which is literally just launched. The first game was called Ball Balancer, in which you had a keyboard which you had to move around to get a ball to flow down one end of the keyboard to pick up various objects or rewards and get to a certain point on the keyboard. So it was very much sort of balancing game. That was very successful. That had about one and a half million players. The interesting thing with what we do is using this process, we can learn from the first game what people do and don't like and then take that forward into the second game. And there were things we learned in the first game that we could take through to the second game. And so the second game we created was slightly more of an arcade feel and it was called Jelly Jumper and a very sort of abstract idea, but the idea of a little jelly character who jumps around on a keyboard. Now, on the keyboard, you need to make a certain number of jumps to reach certain goals. Um, it's quite difficult to explain. I think it would make more sense if people looked at the website. The URL for the Jelly Jumper game is www.jellyjumper.com. And this little character jumps around the keyboard, picking up things and avoiding things as he goes. As I said, it sounds a very abstract game, but it worked really, really well for a number of reasons. One is something like this hasn't been seen before, the little jelly character on a keyboard. The way that we created the game, the richness of the sort of creative and gaming experience, led this game to have pretty much twice as many players as the first game. So we had three million players in the second game as we did to the first game. And then the third game is an evolution of the Jelly Jumper game. Uh, this is a game that I said that's just launched, and this is called Jelly Battle. 
based on the same characters in the same environment, but this time it's a multiplayer game. Because we know the Jelly Jumper game worked so well, we could take that idea forward. But this time you can play other people live online, and it's a much more of a strategy game set on the keyboard with this little Jelly character. Again, it continues to communicate absolutely everything we want to communicate about Logitech, their keyboard products, and those sorts of things. So that was really the essence of the campaign, was three viral games, one after the other. They were seeded in a number of different ways. We run our own seeding environment. We run and manage two gaming portals, which we can seed on. We have a newsletter that goes out to half a million people who want to receive our games. But then we use paid-for seeding on a number of sites around Western Europe. And what I mean by paid-for seeding is in the way that we discussed earlier on. Just being able to buy inventory where we can promote our game on these gaming portals. Um, so that would include some free sites such as Mini Huegos and Huegos Huegos, huge Spanish sites, and then paid for sites like miniclip.com and sites like that will give us the seeding coverage that we want to get the audience that we want. And then the critical thing with this is that's great to have these three games, but they need to have a business rationale within the games. Once you've reached a certain level, you could then receive a 10% voucher, which could be redeemed in their online store. You're encouraged to visit their website to view their products. When you viewed their products, you could sign up for ongoing newsletter communications. So it's been a very effective campaign. The client's very happy with the, the campaign that we've done. And it goes to show that we can generate sufficient interest and awareness purely using viral. Well, Jelly Jumper was one of them that I found when I was actually looking at Inbox Digital in the first place, and I can assure you I've actually been a little piece of your viral campaign because I've passed it on to quite a number of other people. I wanted to catch up with one of the things you were discussing there that's very, very important in this, and that viral marketing is, again, one of those areas where in many approaches, and I would take the let-me-see-if-I-can-create-a-YouTube-video concept as a good example, there's no real clear path to understand what your return on investment is. Now, in your case, you have quite a number of tools available to prove what a company's true return on investment is when they take the approach of working with your company. Could you tell us about what some of the metrics are that mattered to various companies and then how you measured up against them when the project was completed? I think the first thing I do want to point out is the most important thing you've said there is measurability, and that is one of the main problems that we have between, say, viral film and viral game. And one of the challenges with viral film we have found is that it's very difficult to build any kind of tracking into a viral film beyond the number of times we believe it to have been played. So if a video goes onto YouTube, the only indication you have of how many people have seen it is the YouTube tracking. You can't put your own tracking into it. It's very difficult to achieve that. With viral gaming, if you just shift your mindset slightly from it being a viral game to actually it being a website, everything we create is a flash-based website in essence. And then the standard web metrics and measurements and reports will then apply. So we can track how many people have visited the site, how many times they've played. We can look at unique visitors. We can look at repeat visitors. We can have a look at which countries they're coming from. And we can serve the game up in different languages. So gaming for us gives us much, much more measurability. And the interesting thing with also what you said was about, well, there are no guarantees, and that's absolutely right. There are no guarantees, but the market is maturing, and you can get a certain level of reassurance of what viral game or viral campaign will achieve. What's interesting with that is that we can now, given our historic experience, we can now have a better estimate of what we think a game is going to do based on where it might go, how many times it might be played, what languages it appears in, that kind of thing. And then that will give us some idea of what kind of response or results we can expect to get from the game. 
what we tend to do with clients is we tend to model sort of low, medium, and high scenario, which is to say, well, at its lowest level, we don't really see our games getting less than this many players or less than this many click-throughs to a website. And then we can model that at a low level, a medium level, and a high level and say, well, if we're going to achieve a medium level, are those metrics acceptable to you? And we can then apply the cost of the game, the cost of the seeding into that and say, so we can give you a cost per click of X or we can give you a cost per unique player of Y. Or we can even transfer that right the way through into things like where we are with Logitech, where we're asking people to request a voucher within the website. They're signing up with their email address. When they buy the product on the website, they're redeeming the voucher, and we can tie that whole process back in as well. And so we're building those pipelines, if you like, from the point at which somebody plays the game right the way through to which they purchase. And we've got various conversion levels through each of those stages. So we can really start to understand uh, the true metrics that are working in viral marketing, and we can build models for our clients then which say, well, on this basis, we'd assume this game would have this many players. We would assume it to, to have this many click-throughs or purchases or whatever it might be. So that's a sort of simple way of measuring. And I think the first level is we can report everything as you would do a normal website in terms of visits, unique visits. Then secondly, we can get into things like cost per click, click-through to the website, or cost per purchase by looking at the voucher redemptions. But we're also working with other clients where we're looking at the actual value of the campaign, the viral campaign, the impact it has had on things like the brand familiarity or how people feel about that brand by benchmarking an audience using a questionnaire before the game goes out and then sending the same questionnaire to the same group after the game has gone out and understanding their shift in brand perception as a result of playing the game. And if we can isolate that audience as having played the game and we can also use a test audience who haven't played the game, we can say that this is the brand uplift that has been generated through the game. So that's essentially some work progress at the moment, but we're looking at trying to measure what we do in the common terms that our clients use. And bear in mind, we work with clients right away from financial services through to you know, household goods, and they all measure their businesses in different ways. What we're trying to do is determine the effectiveness of the campaign we've created for them on their terms. Another side of this that I know our listeners would be interested in hearing about is how your company started out. When we had our first conversation to prepare for this interview, I asked if maybe there had been a group of hardcore game designers around there that were looking for a new challenge and decided to take on the brave new world of viral marketing. But that's not true. So could you tell us a little bit about how you got started and where the idea came from to create Inbox Digital? It's a very interesting question, and I'm always surprised to an extent where we've ended up in the work that we're doing, given where we started from. Our business started life in 1997 as a call center business, and Inbox Digital grew out of the call center. And what spurred that really was the need to start giving the customers we were talking to on the telephone digital fulfillment. So ultimately, that meant emailing them digital content. That could be PDFs or rich media emails, as they were at the time. Gradually, our business grew, and on the digital side, as the digital industry grew to this being more and more focused and a bigger specialist in email marketing, and then more recently, more specific digital marketing. Our background as a group of individuals is actually more direct marketing focused. So what we're really understanding in what we're developing is the use of communications to deliver data, to deliver response, to deliver click-throughs, those sorts of things. And so we started creating games about two years ago, purely as a result of a team member, our creative director, who joined the team and had done a few games for brands beforehand, but simple games, um, not necessarily viral as we know it. And we started doing some simple games for clients as, as a little bit of fun content. 
But gradually we realized the power that these things had in terms of us being able to deliver huge numbers through them and secondly being able to measure and track them and use them in the ways that we traditionally worked in terms of to drive interest, to drive awareness, to drive response, to generate registrations, even to, as I was saying before, to drive the commercial aspects. And so our history really started life from being a call center business, which grew a digital arm. And the digital arm has kind of gone off now in its own direction. And you know, we've become huge specialists in the viral area by applying the sort of the knowledge and techniques that we've built up in direct marketing to our knowledge and understanding of the gaming market. And interestingly, what's actually happened is we have had to specialize. So to be able to deliver the kind of creativity I was talking about earlier on, we've had to specialize in our programming and coding area. So we now have dedicated games programmers. So unlike many agencies who have, say, flash programmers who can create a game, we have guys who are dedicated games programmers who have joined us from games programming firms to help create our fantastic games for our clients. Well, and for those, too, that will be just discovering you, uh, one of the things that I wanted to mention is that in going through your games, not only is the attention to play and fun very, very important and evident in what you've done, there's also quite a bit of work that's been done on even the physics and the way that things respond so that, for example, when you had your campaign with Pringles where you're literally riding a potato chip through the air, you have a little bit of a feeling for the aerodynamics. And then when you have the soccer game that recently won some awards for you, that also has a real feel of the physics of the way that the ball is kicked, moves through the air, and how it interacts with gravity, etc. So it's, it's very realistic and amazingly so on such a small scale. So there's a lot of work in what seems like just a few minutes of playtime. That's a very good point. The content in the game is the thing that makes it work at the end of the day. If the game doesn't feel right, if it doesn't play right, if it doesn't stand out, then no matter how much money you put behind it to seed it, it still is not going to be a success. And so the product is king in this. And so you do have to have games that stand out, games that people say, wow, that really make them think about it in the way you've talked about with the physics that we're using and that kind of thing. And, and it is something that's a quantity that not very many people notice necessarily, but maybe it's a quantity you're not supposed to notice. The thing you're supposed to notice is how much you're enjoying it, not how well built it was. But we do have clients ask us, you know, why does it take so long? You know, it takes eight to ten weeks to build a game. Why does it take so long? But then to get to that fine level of crafting, that's how long it takes. And then the second thing is not just the physics and the overall effects that are being used in the game, but just the gameplay itself. And, and gameplay is so, so important how exciting it is to play. And that's a really strange quality to be able to substantiate to somebody, but we know what it feels like. The team here know what that feels like. And I know that sounds like a very sort of esoteric point, but it's such an important point. But that's really what takes the time. You know, um, our creative director would always say it's a bit like, you know, baking a cake or making a casserole. The longer you leave it, the better it tastes. And it is us living with the game, understanding what makes it play and work that really creates a playable, enjoyable game. You've clearly done well with this because along the way you've managed to take on an amazing array of clients. For those that will eventually take a look at the website, they're going to see that list. Could you give us an idea of the kind of the range of customers that have used Inbox Digital to create viral games for them? Yes, yeah, sure. We work with a huge range of clients. And by that, I mean just the breadth in terms of the kind of clients that we're working with. From charities such as the British Red Cross, through to Panasonic, working on their camera range. Fiat, Auto, we're working on a game for those guys at the moment. Um, 
uh, Procter & Gamble. Uh, we work across a number of their brands, uh, particularly in Femcare and Teams Marketing, creating games for that, but also, as you mentioned before, with Pringles. We've created games for Vicks, which is a nasal spray, games for kitchen towels, so many different products. Logitech, as I talked about before, recruitment. There are so many sectors, and the interesting thing with that is there doesn't seem to be a limit to what sectors we can work with, and we can always develop really interesting gaming ideas for, for any particular sector. I think with all these clients, so they've all had a good degree of success. You know, I'm thinking about other ones as we're talking, such as insurance firms, which insurance is notoriously a bit of a dull product, but when you put a game around it, you know, we had a game which runs a viral chart, Christmas viral challenge last year and had 1.6 million players for uh, an insurance product. So we can create really successful marketing campaigns for any sort of brand. And I think what's interesting is it goes back to the point I made before, which is it's a slightly different way of marketing to people and perhaps one that they enjoy more rather than one which is just a standard sort of brand or campaign message. This is something people can actually engage with and, and enjoy a little bit more. So I actually think we've, we've created a really sort of friendly way of marketing, if you like. I definitely think so. In the last couple of questions here, one of the things I wanted to do, you've already mentioned one category with the Logitech Jelly Jumper and Ball Balancer series of campaigns, but is there a latest viral campaign that you think our listeners might want to try out for themselves and see what that's like? Uh, yes, we've just done, this is a sort of a slightly more technical game in so much that it's using Shockwave rather than Flash, and I don't want to necessarily get into the technicalities of each, but Shockwave gives us a much richer gaming experience, and we've just done a game called the Jeep Big Adventure. Um, and this is a 3D world where you're driving a Jeep, and I know most of the US audience will be quite familiar with the Jeep, driving a Jeep through a 3D environment, picking up things as you go, and that's just started taking off, that launched on Thursday last week. And that's just started taking off across the world. So that's a really good, strong campaign. We create a number of campaigns for Jeep, really, and they're really pushing things in terms of the, the games that we're creating for them. So that's probably our most exciting recent launch. But I also mentioned that Jelly Jumper, the next step in the trilogy, which is called Jelly Battle, has had a quiet launch in so much that it's live right now. We haven't promoted it yet. But if you go to jellybattle.com, you'll see the latest in the Jelly Jumper range and um, I was playing that last night and that's a fantastic game. The interesting thing with that is that it will be multiplayer so you can play other players live online which is another development in online gaming. Well I know people are going to want to know about Inbox Digital. If someone in our listening audience wanted to learn more and perhaps contact with you for more information or just to browse around your website, where should they go? Our web address is www inbox.co.uk and my contact details are on that website. Yeah, we'd be really happy to hear from anybody who listens to this and I'd be interested to hear people's thoughts and feedback as well in terms of what they think to what we've got to say about this whole area. Matt, I appreciate your time today. I know you're a busy man and in spite of what it might appear, I believe you do not actually play games all day long. This is an important business and I appreciate what you've done to help illuminate the way that this really exciting field is going forward. So thanks a lot. And thank you, Brad, as well. It's been good to have an opportunity to talk to you about this. And really for somebody to unpick what it is we're doing. I mean, we really enjoy what we're doing, and it's good to share that with people. So thanks for the opportunity to talk to you and your listeners. Before we let you go this time, we Stranova have a favor to ask of you. We'd like you to try out one of the websites Mr. Ramsey talked about during our interview yourself. Or perhaps check out the amazing Viva La Volley at V-I-V-A-L-A-V-O-L-L-E-Y dot com soccer game the one that recently won the NMA Effectiveness Award. 
or for a true test of your ability to pull yourself away from the computer, try their brand new multiplayer version of Jelly Jumper, Jelly Battle, at www.jellybattle.com, available in eight languages. Then write to us at ideasatstranova.com, or write a comment or two about the games on our blog entry about Inbox Digital, and tell us about your experience. You might also want to take time to consider buying one of the products you've just been learning about as well. After all, that's why this is all there in the first place. And while you're at it, please tell your colleagues about this episode of Stranova and spread the word. After all, our podcasts are part of the viral world as well, which you spread by word of mouth. That's our show for this time, and thanks for listening. We thank you for joining us for this episode of Stranova's podcast series. If you'd like to learn more about Stranova's business services and the topics discussed in this week's episode, please visit us at www.stranova.com, write us at ideas at stranova.com, or visit our blog at blog.stranova.com. Our program materials are covered by a Creative Commons license, the Attribution Non-Commercial Non-Derivatives 2.5 license by Brad Redderson. And this is Brad Redderson inviting you to join us soon for a future audio program exploring where strategy and innovation intersect.